everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right, we're going to jump into today's message, and I just, I want to, just full disclosure, I'm going to gush a little bit about my dad today, uh, if that's okay with you, Um, and if it's not, I'm still going to do it, because he's awesome. My dad was a middle school band teacher for 36 years. Uh, he, was my, he was my band teacher. Um, a lot of you that are in this room had my dad as a teacher. Uh, he, he started his career before he graduated at UNC, uh, working at Louisville Middle School, and then there was this brand new, bright, shiny middle school opening called Broomfield Heights Middle School. And my dad opened Broomfield Heights Middle School. And to get us into our frame of thinking today, uh, there's a whole bunch of different things that you learn uh, when you're the son of a band teacher and when you sit in his class. And really, just if you're a student of music at all, there's different terms for different things. In today's entire message, this, this spiritual journey that we've been talking about for the last several weeks since the year began, we're going to base around a musical term this morning. And the term is rollentando. Can you say that with me? Rollentando. You just spoke Italian. Well done. And it's not even noon. You're, you're having a great morning so far. Rollentando, and the definition's up on the screen, but it's essentially just this, it's a movement. You, you would see this on a piece of sheet music. It would be abbreviated with the word rawl. And when you find a rawl, it's going to be usually at the end of a song, and this is going to be where the tempo starts to slow way down. And oftentimes with a true rollentando, it comes to a complete stop at the end. And it's, it's just this incredibly restful way to end a song. One person said this, perhaps the most beautiful movement in all of music is the practice of rollentando. It is the mastery of the beauty of sound as it seeks to savor and simplify and slow down the audience as it lays them gently into the quiet of peace. Rollentando. It's pretty cool. So I've been thinking about my dad. I've been thinking about rollentando. Um, and I found a fusion of both. So what I'm going to show you is a live, well, it's a video recorded Rollentando done by a middle school band teacher. Are you ready for this? Pay attention. Watch particularly the conductor. That's where I want your eyes to be, okay? And experience the peaceful rest of Rollentando. Check this out. So beautiful. It's so rollentando. Slows down the audience as it lays them gently into the quiet of peace. Thank God. Thank God. It's done. My dad is awesome because he did that for 36 years. He's one of the most patient men that I know. Uh, It's a true virtue of his. And he does walk with this cadence in his life. If you meet him today, he's retired now, but... 
it's still the same where he's quick to sit down with you and patiently, whether you're good at what you're doing, whether you're learning what you're doing, to go, hey, slow down. Let's do it right. And there were so many times in his workshop as a kid, as we were working with wood and sods, as I was in his classrooms, I watched him read scripture. There were so many places in my life where I just watched my dad live with this slow teacher's cadence. We're going to do it right. We're going to learn it. We're going to savor it. Rollin Tondo. We've been reading this book together, and we've been in this series since the beginning of the year called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If this is your first Sunday back, maybe to church in a while, maybe if you're just checking out church today, it's based around a book that this guy, John Mark Comer, wrote. Um, it's a brilliant book, and this is the last week of our series today, but if you haven't picked this up, I would still encourage you. It's been so fun for me getting emails, having some of you pull me aside in conversations go, this is changing my life. Like, we've just implemented a couple of the ideas in our home with what he's talking about, and already our relationships to each other and with God are shifting. It's so much fun. This book was really written based on a conversation that Comer was having with his mentor, John Ortberg. And he went to him one day and said, hey, what must I do to be spiritually healthy? And Ortberg said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Comer's been spending this book going chapter by chapter, looking at the person of Jesus and saying, Jesus was just one who was never in a hurry. He seemed to have some practices, some simple ways of life down that he chose to live with. And because of that, he just had this non-anxious presence that was connected with God everywhere that he went. And the invitation from the book, but really the invitation from Jesus is, come learn this way of living. And it's been so much fun looking at this together. We've had the last several weeks, if you've missed some of these, we've talked about the practice of silence, the practice of solitude, the practice of Sabbath, the practice of simplicity. And I think for our purposes today, I would have you visualize God as a conductor like a middle school conductor who has been teaching us to play. Here's a song, it's called Simplicity, Try It On. And you may feel a lot like a middle school kid in a band right now of like, I am trying, there's a lot of squeaks, there's a lot of honks, I don't think this sounds right, and there could be a temptation to just put it down. I think uh, for those of us, you know, that are mature adults that have, you know, like we've got a thing to, to make sure that we look right. There's a sense, too, of like, I'm not even going to pick that up because it sounds and seems so foreign. I don't know if I could try that. I think my encouragement would be for those of us around the room that have continued to pick up and try these different things. For some of us, it's dusting them off. For some of us, it's learning how to do them for the first time. There's freedom to be found here which makes total sense if the author of life is the one who designed us to live this way. So we're going to be looking at just one final practice today, and it's the practice of slowing, which to me is the silliest thing ever, because it's like, how do you ruthlessly eliminate hurry? You slow down. No, duh. Like, that's, like, that's the simplest answer ever. And when we spend some time to really pull that apart and go, what does that mean it is a little bit more profound than it might seem on the surface. So, as we're, as we're apt to do here, it's not just a best practice. This is not a self-help book that we're looking at. 
These are things for us here at Discovery that we go, these, these are tied to this person of Jesus and the, and the way that he lived. So we're going to be looking actually today at some of the teachings of some of the followers of Jesus, people who had spent time with him or time with people who had spent time with him. And this is now the transmission, as we're looking at the teachings of Jesus, the transmission as these teachings get passed down. What were people talking about a generation or two after the teachings of Jesus in the classroom? So today we're going to be looking at a passage out of the book of Thessalonians. Uh, Thessalonians is fantastic. It's a book, it's a letter that was written to a church in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, it's written by a guy named Peter who had been there uh, several months before, and Thessalonica is just a wild place. See if this sounds familiar to you. To you. Thessalonica is a place where pretty much any religion is, is possible. It's available. There's a temple to everything. The Greek pantheon is alive and well in Thessalonica. As they've done more and more archaeology, one of the things that's really stunned people about, our, of, of, about Thessalonica is how many temples to the Egyptian pantheon are actually in Thessalonica. They found tons of other cults and mystery religions, uh, religions that were surrounding the mystic, uh, mystic faiths that are there. And all of that, too, all of this is being set in the age of the Roman Empire post-Julius Caesar, where the worship of the emperor as a divine figure is also alive and well. So as you begin thinking through who are these people that this letter is being written to, picture a group of people who there, there is a current in the general culture. And that current is strong and it's moving one, may, one way. It's, it's a current of syncretism. Your ability to thrive in this culture is your ability to weave in and out of these different houses of worship, these different philosophies, these different worldviews. And when you're in a political setting to go, Caesar is God. And when you're in the house of a friend who maybe is more into the Greek pantheon or the Egyptian pantheon, that you know how to do that and you can do all the right moves, you have no bones about eating food in their house that's been sacrificed to idols that are part of faith structures that are part of their world, and you would do that. And then, there, and then in the business world, you have a whole other different set of rules that you play. Does, does this begin to sound a little bit familiar to our time today? The current of our culture is strong. And your ability to, to survive socially is somewhat dependent on your ability to engage syncretism. How easily can you move in and out of different conversations with different people? What is it that your life stands for? Is it the same as everybody around, or is there some things that make you distinct from them? So Paul and then his students, Silas and Timothy, had gone to Thessalonica. They started this church, and it was amazing what was going on. This is in a day where to say there's only one God, and his name is Jesus Christ, will get you killed because you're essentially saying Caesar's not God. He's not the real thing. He's a liar. Jesus is what it's all about, killed, like corporal punishment right away. And this church is flourishing. And it gets to a point where Paul has to move on. So he's been gone now for several months. He writes this note back to him. And the note is incredible. He spends the first half of it just saying, way to go, you guys. I can't believe that your church is flourishing and then the environment that it's in and what's going on. And then he gets into a couple places where he's delivering, like, here's some encouragements to keep going, keep doing these things, keep fighting for this. And he kind of gets to this crescendo that happens at the end of chapter four. And we hit this really wild couple verses. So we're going to pick it up today in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, the last half of verse 10. And we're just going to read a couple verses here. 
And to this group of Christians who have really chosen, we're not going to live in this Socratic world. Jesus is Lord. We're going to set ourselves apart and live differently. This is what Paul says to them. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we directed you, so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and be dependent on no one. I don't know if you caught it, but in just those couple verses, if this is the crescendo of his encouragement to this group of people, what's like the biggest point that he's trying to drive home? Aspire to live quietly. And this is not just something that I think Paul is saying, hey, here's a novel thought that I just made up. I think this is coming from Paul spending time with Jesus and those who spent time with Jesus saying, man, this is, there's life to be found here. And now he's taught his students, Silas and Timothy, this is how we're going to live. And now this church that he cares deeply about, that he wants to encourage, that he wants to address, where are the ways that you're going to be tempted to go sideways? What's like the one thing I want you to know? More and more, live quietly. Now, I think it's really helpful to break apart just that verse a little bit more. So we get this wor- these words more and more to aspire to live quietly. And if we break this down in the language, really what Paul is getting at is, is this word aspire, is labor or strive or study, kind of like a student. But even that's made up from two compound words put together. It, the, the thought behind aspire is become a friend of something that you value highly, something that you're willing to pay the price for, something that you honor. So become a friend of something that is deeply meaningful. And what is this thing? To live quietly. Which, when you look at that in the Greek language that Paul's writing about, it's exactly what you think it would mean. To refrain from labor. To live in peace and quiet and rest. It's a bit of a rollentando, really. Become a friend. Become a student of rollentando. Slow down. Study it, aspire to it, honor it, value it deeply. I think if I were to put it in my words, I think what Paul's getting at is this idea of continue to be a student who increasingly values your deep friendship with peace and quiet and more contemplative settings that lead you to more rest and more security in God. Don't get caught up in the go with the flow of the culture around you where syncretism is survival. Dedicate yourself fully to this practice of your faith. How do you slow down in the world of the American West? We've been talking about this for weeks, but man, the furious pace that we run at sometimes just feels quite literally breakneck. Comer, as he gets into this book, this chapter in particular to me was the most funny of all of them because he starts out with this idea of, I love playing games. I've come up with 20 games that I play in my life to help me live more slowly. And they're all crazy and really, really funny. But here's my top four, some things that I go, yeah, I can see how that would help. Game number one, drive the speed limit. And some of you are like elbowing the person next to you right now. I'm watching it happen across the room. Have you ever thought about the speed limit as something that invites you into a spiritual practice? What would it look like to see 35 miles an hour and to like breathe a sigh of relief and be like, oh, good, 35. 
What if you hit a school zone and you're like, fines doubled, no problem, like 15. What about this practice for you? Is it something that as you see a speed limit sign that you can just be reminded, hey, exhale, go the speed limit, and that it becomes a bit of a game to you? These are Comer's games. He's such a nut. The second one, show up 10 minutes early to every meeting that you had. I actually did this as a Lent project myself a few years ago. And it's crazy. When you're just waiting for 10 minutes in front of every single meeting of your day, as long as you're not picking up your phone and busying and distracting yourself with that time, for me, one of the things I notice is, man, I just like kind of grin like an idiot and just look at the world around. Usually this is at a coffee shop for me. And I'm just watching people come in and I find myself just attuned to like, Oh, it's this mom. She's just frazzled. I'm just going to pray, pray for her. Uh, there was one week where I like, got this wily idea. I'm just going to go like, up to the cashier and say, hey, I just want to buy coffee. I don't know who the next person is coming through, but here's my card. Like, I just want to buy coffee for the next person. That doesn't happen when I'm running three minutes late everywhere I go. So what if there was a game that you played of everywhere you are supposed to be, you get there 10 minutes early, and you just enjoy the world around. It's time between you and the Lord. What about this one? When you're at this one, this one, I'm like, I'm not playing that game. Get in the longest line at the grocery store. Eh, not my speed. But he, he talks a lot about the same, the same sensation of just have a conversation with the person around you or just be aware of the world around you. Slow down for a minute. You do not have to get to your car that fast. And you're just going to spend the next few minutes worrying about how you didn't bring in your reusable bags from the car anyway. So just let that go and enjoy the moment. That's a game. He has this other practice that he calls parenting your phone, which I think is hilarious. He talks about, which I can empathize, he's never had his kids come to him and say, hey, can you put me to bed now? <laughs> like you have, you have to tell your kids it's bedtime. And then usually if they're like my kids, you have to like crocodile wrestle them underneath the covers, which is really fun. But what if you had a similar practice with your phone of every night at nine o'clock? Hey, it's time to go to bed. And your phone, you charge in a place not next to your bed, in a place where you're not going to see it until you wake it up as its parent the next morning at 9 a.m. And part of why you do that is because you know you're waking up as the parent an hour before and you will not look at that phone because you're going to spend that first hour of the day just savoring the morning. Drinking a cup of coffee without this right here in your face. Having a conversation, looking out the window, watching a sunrise. What would it be like to parent your phone? I think they're great ideas. He's got 20 games that he wrote down in this last chapter. This dude's a nut. But they're really good as you continue to think about them. I think this is a spot too, as we get to the end of this uh, sermon series, that I just wanted to make you aware. Some of you have heard of this before. But for years, like pre the dawn of the church, people who are wanting to grow in their spiritual life have developed something called a rule of life. Or I, I rather refer to it as a rhythm of life because I would like to think that God is not somebody who's just constantly throwing rules out at people, but that God's something that has a bit of a rhythm to it. And the whole point of a rule of life or a rhythm of life is that you just kind of say, here's what I'm going to be practicing for a while, like a middle school kid picking up a saxophone for the first time. What's my sheet music? And you would write things down. It might look pretty simple as you get started. It might be something like, every day I'm going to set a timer 
And for 15 minutes every single day, I'm going to sit in silence and just enjoy the silence. It's a practice from our last several weeks together. You might also have written in there, every week, I'm going to have a couple weekly activities. I'm going to practice Lectio Divina. It's a type of reading scripture and prayer that's been in our book. I'm going to actually bust out the book and walk through, how do I actually do that, twice a week. I want to make sure that I'm going to practice a Sabbath every Sunday, not just go to church and then go back home and keep knocking out my to-do list, but a Sabbath. Go to church and enjoy worship and go home and enjoy worship and finish the day enjoying worship. Worship. I'm going to do that every single week. I'm going to walk around my neighborhood at least two times a week. It might just be a 15-minute walk, but I'm just going to think about my neighbors as I'm walking around. I'm going to stop and say hi to anybody who I might find that's outside. Pet the neighbor's dog. Learn its name. Just enjoy being in my neighborhood. I'm going to do that as a spiritual practice. Then every year, I'm going to take a weekend away to practice solitude. I want to review my year during that time. I want to consider a new rhythm of life for the coming year. What's been working? What do I feel like I'm getting? And what more might God be inviting me to? It might be at this time, too, that you go, I'm going to look at my budget and how I'm living generosity. And as a practice of living a non-hurried life, I want to give away what I don't need, and I want to live simply. This is an example of a rule or a rhythm of life that you would just write down. And we're in a culture that loves goals. We love smart goals. We love sales goals. We love workout goals. And the reason is, is because we want to grow in things. And I would just suggest to you, if growing in your spiritual life is something that you're interested in as we get towards the end of this book, the workbook that he's got attached to it, which you don't need to read the book to do, is a really great start What am I going to be about in the coming weeks and months and years? What do I want to be practicing like a middle school saxophonist so that I get better and that I grow and that I develop? People have been doing that in the church since before the church was a church. You're invited to experience that. If that's something that you're interested in, you can pull me aside after church. It is the easiest thing to find in a Google search. Just type in how do you develop a rule of life and it'll be right there. So, there's one thing I thought was so important about that video of the middle school concert. Uh, If you have been feeling like, man, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I would love to, like, I bought the book, (laughs) I haven't started it yet, things have just been so hurried. Even if that's the case, I just want to address something that's really profound in that video to me. Do you remember the most important part of it? It was right at the end. I want to play it for you one more time because I I really do think, and this is true to this day. I mean, I've been to a lot of middle school band concerts in my life. This is the most important part, I think, of any middle school band concert. It's this part. Got the kid like a Tuscan Raider just throwing his instrument over his head. There's a lot of honks and squeaks if you're like me, trying this out in the world that we live in, trying to slow things down when, when the current is just moving so strongly forward. How do you slow down without honks and squeaks? And I think I would, as we finish, just remind you, pick up your instrument. There is a rhythm to this song. 
and you're going to mess it up. And there's going to be moments where you're taking your hands off the conductor who's slowing you down for a rallentando as you're hurrying to the last no. And in it all, just remember that the audience of heaven is listening. And for those who pick up the instrument and who try and who practice, they're not interested in it sounding like the London Philharmonic every single time. The applause always comes from a place of, man, you've been working so hard, and I see it. And that applause, all that really says is, keep going. It's not an applause that says, that was the greatest thing I've ever heard. Oh my gosh, it's not, I'm sure. But it is an applause that says, man, I'm so proud of you. Keep going. Pick up these instruments that you've been given. Why? Because continuing to be a student who increasingly values your deep friendship with peace is important to you. In a world where syncretism is survival, where they're living a kind of Christianity is more acceptable than full-throttle Christianity, Paul teaches Timothy and Silas, who go before you and Thessalonica, as they roar with delight and pride for those that are choosing to do the difficult thing. You're not arrived yet. You probably haven't nailed all of this, and the invitation is to continue to lean in. Become a friend of the study of peace ruthlessly eliminate hurry and learn that perhaps the most controlled form of beauty is a rollentando. I'm going to bring out the band as I finish with one, I think, really important thing for me. And that's this. Uh, Japanese theologian Kasuke Kiyama had this quote that I shared actually the first week of this series together. And it's wonderful. He really has coined this idea of what speed does God move at? God moves at three miles an hour. This was the quote I shared with you a few weeks ago. Love has its speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. But in context... Here's the next thing that he's going to say. Jesus Christ came. He walked towards a full stop. He lost his mobility. He was nailed down. He is not even at three miles an hour as we walk. He's not moving. And at this point of full stop, the apostolic church proclaims that the love of God to man is ultimately and fully revealed. So Rolandondo, it's this slowing down until you've been laid gently into the rest of peace. As we watch Jesus do this, this was maybe not peaceful, as we would say, in our culture as we would look at him. He suffered as he was dying into his stop. But Kayama's right we do proclaim that the love of God to man is ultimately and fully revealed in the cross and in that empty tomb. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing together, and my invitation to you is fairly simple this morning. I would love for you to be fully aware of your body. One thing in our tradition is that we don't move around a whole ton when we sing. You're at a bit of a full stop when you're here on a Sunday morning. 
This morning the invitation is come to that full stop. Engage the full stop of Jesus Christ in your life. And know that the love of God to man is ultimately and fully revealed in this kind of a moment. Where are you being invited to Rolantando this morning? And then as you go home, and as you look into the rhythm of your week, as you learn better to pay attention to the conductor who is patiently saying, keep going, keep learning, keep studying, be a friend of Rolantando. Let's stand and let's sing together.